the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. We've got a special program for you today on the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you are listening to the Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Whatever's on your heart or on your mind, we'll do the very best that we can to answer those questions. You can call us at 630-5757-630-KSLR. That's our toll-free number. If you put an 877 in front of that, you can call from all over the state. You can also call us locally at 340-9585. At 340-9585. You can use uh, our free Calvary Chapel mobile app, and you can contact us by sending questions that way. You can also call us by using the free KSLR mobile app, uh, using the hands-free feature. Just push the Call Now button, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer, the other way, you can send email questions by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com. One more time, 340-9585. A couple of things. I'm still broadcasting uh, today, as Paul and I were yesterday, from the uh, Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference in Plano, Texas. Uh, we will be home uh, tomorrow, and uh, I have the honor and privilege of finishing the book of Romans finally after two years in the book uh, on Sunday. Our three services, 8, 30, 10, 15, and 11, 59. Uh, tonight uh, at our Friday night Bible studies, Pastor Rich will be teaching. Uh, I don't know what he's teaching because he's there and I'm here, but you will be blessed. So that happens at 7 o'clock. Uh, today I have a very special guest. It's it's one of the weirdest things. Um, you know, I know a lot of pastors. Um, I, I, I love hanging out with pastors. Um, but today I was actually blessed and surprised to, to encounter something that I've never encountered before. A pastor in politics. My special guest is Pastor Brandon Hall from Calvary Chapel in Temple, Texas. Um, he is um, um, a I've grown to love and, and admire, but I didn't know that he was feeling a call into the political realm, or at least making a run for the political realm. And so, Brandon, my first question is, what in the world were you thinking? Well, actually, well, thank you for having me on and just giving me the opportunity to share the the wild ride that, that not only myself went on, but you know, my wife and my family went along with me. Uh, what were we thinking? That's a great question. And I asked the same thing, except I you know, focused that on the Lord. I said, Lord, what are you thinking? And really, it was a surprise just as much to myself and my family as it is to anyone else that hears it. It's, uh, you know, I was approached to uh, think about and pray about running for political office, run for state representative. And our district is District 55, and it encompasses pretty much all of East Bell County. Uh, so it's a very large district, but a very diverse district, too. You've got farming, you've got medical, you've got military, uh, you've got industrial, you've got transportation. So you've got all, all sorts of different issues, different concerns, 
different, different, just different things going on. So, but really, the thought was is I just wanted to be faithful to the Lord, and and He had called us to run. It was kind of that Isaiah moment of whom shall I send? And I said, well, here <laughs> I am, Lord. I guess send me. And it was such a blessing to be able to have that experience and to really just be able to just jump headfirst into that world that I. I had only seen on TV or heard on talk radio and stuff like that, but never really been involved in. You know, Brendan, I I know what it takes to be a pastor, and it's a full-time job. But you've got another full-time job, a secular job. You're bivocational as a pastor. That's correct. You have a beautiful wife and five children. Right. And your oldest is getting ready to go away to college. That's correct. And you have a two-year-old. Yes, what were you thinking? Yeah, that's another good question. <laughs> well, this is one of those where the Lord told me to do it, and it was like, okay, if we're going to do this, Lord, you need to not only lead, you need to walk with me, and you need to push me. And he did all of those things. And what was amazing is that even though I had a full-time job, and even though I was a, a full-time pastor, and even though I was a full-time dad and a full-time husband, it was amazing how the Lord truly allowed us to do this and do it with all our hearts and and really put as much into it as we could. You know, it went... The amount of, of effort and work that goes into running a campaign, you know, it was it was it's astounding and it's amazing. And you really, no matter who's running, it gives me a a new just respect for people that do run, whether I agree with their politics or not. Just the amount of effort and coordination and commitment and passion that it takes to truly do it. But if it wasn't for the Lord, it would have completely fallen apart. You know, if we were doing it in the flesh and it was something that I really wanted to do just for mm-hmm. myself, it, everything the wheels would have completely fallen off. Off the wagon, yeah, and, and it wasn't something you were interested in uh, in another life. I mean, this is just completely out of the blue, and the Lord said, "This is what I want." Correct. That is absolutely what it was. I was approached by a group that we we had met. Uh, just doing normal outreach uh, with our church, just general outreach into the community. There were a couple, uh, there was a couple that came up to us and said, "We would really like for you to consider running for." state representative for political office. And I, I smiled and was just kind of laughing. And I said, I'm not a politician. I'm a pastor. And they said, that's what we need. We are missing that in our political system. We have too many politicians that are in Austin or that are in Washington. And we need men of faith. We need men that fear the Lord more than man to step into these roles and be willing to to do this. And you start to pull the curtain back, and it is a very different world when you get into politics. And, mm-hmm. But with the Lord leading and the Lord protecting and the Lord guiding, we felt very comfortable and very confident getting in. Um, we knew many of the issues. We knew where we stood on many of the uh, positions, and it was just a matter of trusting in the Lord, and he provided more than enough funding. Uh, it wasn't enough to, uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't like we were a political machine, but he gave us more than enough to get our message out, and we were really able to focus not only our campaign, but much of the discussion in much more of a biblical manner, and it was great to see how the Lord was working through all of that. So, so there, was, there was no ulterior motive. It wasn't uh, to get your name known so the church would grow. It was just, just a moment between you and the Lord, and he said, this is what I want you to do, and uh, one of the things I so admire about you, and I've known you for a while now, so it, it's just that you're one of the men that realizes when God says to do something, you call him Lord, you don't have a choice. He's not asking for your opinion, or what do you think about this? He's given orders, and you're following orders. How do you balance, or how did you during the campaign balance the time between your secular job, which is a 40-hour job, a uh, pastor, which is probably a 60-hour job per big, week, big, big commitment. Uh, and then, then adding campaigning? Honestly, looking back on it, I don't know how we did it, but we did it. And it was one of those where if you look at it from a worldly viewpoint or from a material standpoint, it doesn't make sense. There's not enough hours in the day to accomplish all that we needed to get done. But somehow the messages got done on the Wednesday nights and the Sunday for the Sunday mornings. The counseling sessions that needed to happen got completed. All the bills got paid. And uh, the the work that I did with that the, my secular job and and. It, it got done, and it was it was not neglected, and there was still time to be able to go out and knock on doors and to meet different 
different groups and to talk with them and to hear their concerns and also to share the gospel with them. But really what it showed me is I had to be extremely organized in my time and I could not waste any time at all. And I'd be very, very disciplined with practically every minute of my day. I don't think it's something that I could have done for, you know, years at a time because it was, it was very demanding. But for that season, he gave me the strength. He gave me the energy to do it. And I now realize that I, I waste a lot of time during the day uh, that I could otherwise use in other ways. So. You know, Brandon, I teach uh, three Bible studies a week, um, a Wednesday night, a Friday night, and then we have three Sunday services. I've got to prepare for that. We do counseling. And, and I've learned that, that if I don't work ahead, if I'm not organized, I would be absolutely overwhelmed. And you've just taken that up a whole bunch of notches there. Now, one of the things that, that um, uh, you shared with us this morning, a group of pastors, uh, you are political unknown. That's correct. Did anybody take you seriously at the beginning? Uh, at the beginning, no. I was. I, I had even introduced myself to the incumbent and who was running again, and it was kind of like, this is really cute. We've got this, this pastor who's running who has no connections and uh, no inroads into the political world, and he's going to run against me, who's, who's very established and very well known. And at first, it was, uh, it was almost a joke, and it was almost that they were laughing, but basically, I just kind of let that go and just knew that the Lord had something that he was planning and that it was going to be big, and it was going to shock a lot of people, so... <laughs> And and you you also shared a little bit about about the race and how you sort of gain momentum through things. Now let me let let the the cat out of the bag. He didn't win, and and for that you're probably eternally grateful. But um, it, you got to see what God wanted to do, what He was able to do. You also got to meet people that you never would have met otherwise and share the gospel um, and, and rightly represent the Lord. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there, were, there were two other people in the race. There was the incumbent who was in the race, and there was myself and one other challenger. And uh, both of them were much better known than I was. And so our, uh, who we were was not known. But what was interesting was every single week that we were out there, our numbers started just doubling and tripling and just growing incredibly and we knew that this message that we had was turning into a movement mm -hmm. and we knew that there was something special but I wasn't surprised because I knew that the Lord was in it and I just wasn't sure exactly what he had and just because the Lord's in something doesn't mean that you're absolutely going to win and that you're going to then did go you, on. Did you expect to win? Well, we, we campaigned like we were expected to win but we really weren't sure what was going to happen. We knew that if we won it would be a David versus Goliath type of situation. You know, we didn't have as much time as the other as the other candidates. We didn't have as much money as the other candidates, but we had a message that really resonated with people. And when some of the professional uh, pundits and, and different people of that, in that, that do politics for a profession, once the final numbers came out, they were really encouraging to us to say, no one does this. this type, these type of numbers are not normal for a complete political outsider, someone completely unknown, to come in and get the kind of numbers that you did. And it's like, if there wasn't a third candidate in this race, you would have gotten even more, even done even better. And so, and I told him, well, we're, and again, I, I gave the glory to the Lord, basically saying, he called us into this, and we knew that, that we would be, you know, competitive, and we pushed the incumbent right up to the end. And, um, and we were very, very excited to see what happened. And the whole time, we kept the Lord at the center of the entire conversation. Uh, this morning, you shared that, that one of the, the, the great things you got to do, uh, you mentioned, was knocking on doors and yes. meeting people. What was their response to a pastor Actually, running for office? Sure. In our district... Uh, we're not, you know, pastors are, are held probably a little bit higher regard. So it was a, it was a welcome to, for many of the people. We knocked on well over 2,000 doors, 2,500 doors plus. So, I mean, we met, we were in every single neighborhood within the district and knocked on most of the doors in those districts. And so it was really neat to go into places that I, I hadn't been yet uh, and to go down streets that I had probably I probably would have never gone down and passed a hundred times going to and from the church or just different things that we were doing. But really when I'd knock on a door and just introduce myself and say, hi, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Pastor Brandon Hall and I'm running to be your state representative. It was almost a, a relief for many people to see that. And many of many received it very well, thinking, you know, we need more men, we need more pastors, we need more Christians who are serious about this, serious about, you know, legislation and, and 
deciding on what's right and wrong or laws and, and that are that are there in those positions and we need more of that. And so it was it was very well received. Even though even people that weren't necessarily excited about or going to vote for us. They trusted in one of the other two candidates. They, they really liked to see that there was a pastor that was really getting involved in civics and really uh, really taking it seriously. One of the things you mentioned today that, that was so encouraging to me is uh, at the end of conversation, some doors were very welcoming, other doors were less welcoming. That is very true. <laughs> Get uh, off my yard. Yeah, yeah. There was a couple of those. There were yeah. definitely some times where people uh, very uh, enthusiastically yeah. told me to leave yeah. and it, to not it, come back. It yeah. is Texas. It is Texas, yeah. and you have to respect that because, you know, they're you know, you don't know what what they want to do to make sure you stay off of their yard. So you well, definitely well, sh- listen. share with our audience the, the 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 way you would leave people, what you would say to them uh, as you were departing from their yard. Oh, that was one of the the best blessings about this is that is that when we when I would be able to talk with someone and hear the struggles or concerns that they had at the state level or even at a national level, uh, I would be able to talk with them. And then as we wrapped up our conversation, I would basically tell them every single time, I'd say, look, you have a pastor right here in front of you. How can I pray for you? What 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 are you struggling with? What are you concerned about that I can pray for you? And just know that a pastor will be praying for you as I'm walking up and down these blocks, talking with uh, you know my neighbors and and potential voters. And and what would you like for me to pray about? And the you know I prayed for people that were sick that had just someone you know people in their families that they had just gotten cancer or people were struggling with a job or their, you know, it was amazing to see the opportunities and the outreach that was there just by knocking on doors and just being faithful and obedient to the Lord. And almost everybody has something they need prayer for. I, I very rarely had someone reject prayer. Yeah. You know, even someone that may not be a, a, a Christian or was knows that, you know, there's something to this and I don't mind someone praying for me. So I, I very rarely had, oh, no, I'm good. You don't need to worry about me. Everyone was very welcoming <laughs> and they gave me something to pray for them about. So my uh, my prayer journal was full you know, during that time. You know, here at, uh, at our church, Brandon, we have a uh, um, uh, an outreach called Joy of Jesus. And one of the things that we do, we just want to meet people face to face and talk to them. And the one locally, there's thousands and thousands of people come. But we've done it in New York, we've done it in Scotland, in London, we've done it in Mexico several times. Um, one of the things I'll ask people what they need prayer for, and and a handful of times I've had people say, I don't need prayer. I say, Oh come on, everybody needs prayer. And and they say, Nope, I don't need any prayer. I say, Well then, do me a favor, would you? If you don't need prayer, would you pray for me? There you go. And, and, you know, they get involved in that. It's like, and, and they get really respectful, you know, take the cap off and, and put it over their heart and start to pray. But let me ask you a theoretical question. And for you in the audience, if you have any questions for, for Pastor Brandon, um, uh, political candidate Brandon, um, 340-9585, he's only going to be with us for the first half hour of the show. 340-9585. Um, Brandon, is it possible, you with what you've seen in the political realm, is it possible for a Christian to be faithful to our values, not to compromise, taking a stand for what's right and what's wrong? Is it possible for a Christian to succeed? And if they do win, is it possible for him to legislate without compromise? And that's a, that's a good question. I think that, and if I'd been elected, we'd find out. Uh, we'd really find out. But uh, we came in second. So uh, so in this, at least in this go-around, I won't experience that. But that was one of the things that I ran on, was basically telling people at the door, was saying one of the biggest problems that everyone has is that they would hear one thing from a candidate to get their vote, and then they'd go and do something completely different. And they would go vote the way of the, the big donors or the big political action uh committees and stuff like that that would uh, really influence them because for in politics you need money in order to be able to run the more money you have the better your chances of winning but when it comes to morals and truth especially as a pastor we have to fear the lord more than we do man and then let the results fall where they may and i think that's one of the issues that that we could struggle with is is truly standing on his word and still be able to get things accomplished because there are 149 other representatives that have other motivations for being there and have other reasons for being there and have other uh, constituents to to take care of and they represent other people and not everyone is a Christian that is represented uh, in this state but all in all what's interesting is that you'll find that 
that most of the bills that come up, 85% of them had very little debate. So there's a, there's a general consensus of agreement on a lot of things. You know, right is generally right, and most people agree on that. Just like the prayer thing, it's like, well, you know, okay, you can pray for me. That's not that big of a deal. Uh, it's just the 15% of the stuff and the stuff that's in the papers and on the news and in the, on the radio that gets most of the play where you have most of the disagreements. But there are things that you can compromise over, uh, certain things, but others that you just absolutely can't. And uh, there are some very specific biblical truths that I would not have compromised on. And that's one of the things that we ran on was that promise, basically saying, look, the person that you see at your door right now is going to be the same person that represents you. Uh, because as a pastor, I recognize that I, you know, I fear the Lord more than I do man. And that may just mean that I have one, one stint in this and, and my two years, and then I'm up because uh, uh, more people don't like the fact that I stood strong on, on specific convictions. But that's what I think we need to do is, is be more afraid of the Lord than of, than of man. Yeah, and as a pastor, of course, um, when you begin compromising, your message loses its authority. It does. Uh, you lose the power of the spirit in, in the message um, simply because you, you go along to get along. Right. And, and we've seen that happen to a whole lot of people of faith who jumped into politics and they learned the art of compromise. Uh, and, and with such a short term, whether it's in the House of Representatives nationally or in our state assembly, uh, with a two-year term, you got to start collecting money the minute you get elected. Pretty much you're constantly in campaign mode. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it ever changes. The only time you might not be is when you're in session. And even then, you're still planning for the next two years if you plan on running again. So as a, as a representative... Uh, you're constantly running. Now, a senator has more time to breathe uh, in between that. But on the other side of the aisle, there's you are constantly uh, up for re-election every two years. So uh, you're constantly in campaign mode. Now, I know you're gonna. I know you're gonna wait for the Lord. Um, but on the surface, is it something you want to do again? Well, it's one of those where I would only do it again if the Lord called me to it. And it's, it's very interesting because I wasn't planning on, on running at the beginning, but it was definitely something that I knew that the Lord wanted me to do, if not to win, just to stir up the pot and to really keep things truthful. And I think that's what we need is we do need some of those watchmen on the wall saying, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, and this is what we should do. And it's... it's Brandon, awesome. we, we just had an anonymous caller call into the studio making comment that you can't be a Christian and serve politics because you can't serve two masters. Just off the top of your head, what's your reaction to that? Well, I've actually heard that before. Uh, I've seen that as a as a um, response to pastors can't be in politics. And I think the, a similar response to that would be, well, can pastors serve in any other realm other than just being a pastor if they've been called to be a pastor? And I think that they can. Paul showed that he not only was a pastor, but he made tents when he needed to. And we also look at, at Jesus himself. You know, Jesus was not a politician, but he definitely got involved in politics. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the politicians of the day, you know, for the, for, uh, within, the Jewish, um, within the Jewish culture and the Jewish society. And he challenged them at every turn. And that's what I felt that the Lord was calling me to do. And although our, uh, our political system is a little bit set up a little bit differently, I don't think that that rule someone out from stepping into that realm. In fact, it, I think that we should have more people of faith, more pastors involved in civics at the local level all the way up to the state level because they know what's true and they will stand firm or should stand firm in those truths. And I think we could see a very different culture and a very different society with that. I would say to the caller, you know, every place it's dark needs light. Absolutely. And, um, God has his people everywhere. Let's go to take a phone call on line one from Fredericksburg, Texas. Angela, Angela, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Um, I was just calling from Fredericksburg because I wanted to tell um, Brandon. He may not have re remembered meeting me, but we met over at a, a political event in Austin. And I was just so encouraged to see him out there running. I know how grueling it is. I'm very involved in our local Tea Party, and um, we are desperate, you know, as 
Christians out here fighting for our values at the state level, especially, um, to see men of, of faith and conviction running for office. And I'm talking about men. We've got women that will step up to the plate. But I am happy to see a strong man get out there. Um, I know what a sacrifice it is. I know how grueling it is. I work on campaigns, and, and I go to Austin, and I um, give testimony in front of, uh, you know, a different committees, and um, I take my faith with me everywhere I go, and it's totally God going in front of, uh, you know, ahead of me. I'm just the, I'm just the hands and the feet, the salt and the light, whatever you will call it. But um, I just want to encourage Brandon to run again because yeah, that, that, that was what I was going to ask you, Angel. Would you would you want him to do it again? I want him to do it again. I, I've been in this involved in long enough that um, name recognition is everything, and now he has some of that. And um, he needs to look. He needs to just keep on, you know, take a rest, take a break, um, regroup, but go at it again. And the next time he he'll, he'll, he can take it. Angela, thank you very much for your call. I, Brandon is encouraged. Thank you. Brandon, we've got <laughs> less. We got less than a minute. Um, uh, did the media treat you fairly? Uh, for the most part, yes, actually, and they were forced to cover a lot of what we talked about, and it was very, you know, uh, centered on God's truth, and, uh, and you know, thank you, Angela, for calling and, and for the encouragement. I have to tell you that you're not the only one that has encouraged me in that way uh, to continue to, to press forward and to, to continue to evaluate doing this again uh, in two years, so we're going to consider that and be prayerful in that. Good. Thank you guys for being here. On the other side of the break, we're going to go back to your calls and for Bible questions, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Friday program. Uh, 30 minutes left in the week. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Uh, you can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Question I, I apologize to you, Kathy. We've been sitting on for about a week uh, because we've had so many calls this week. Uh, Kathy wants to know, does God speak to us in dreams? Kathy, the answer is yes, he does. Um, obviously, there's biblical precedent for that, Old Testament and New Testament. Um, um, you know, sometimes we have a tendency to overemphasize dreams, and, and we think that every dream is from the Lord. But, but yeah, God speaks to us in dreams. Um, the Lord has spoken to my wife. Now, I'm not one of those people that gets dreams. My, my dreams seem to be occupied by the devil. Uh, he just pounds me at night. But my wife is, is a person who... Uh, God has given visions to and, 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 and given dreams to, uh, and they're very important messages, things he wants us to know. Now, again, the warning is not to get carried away and think that, that every dream is from God, because frankly, most of the dreams are just dreams. We've got a very active subconscious. Our brains are infinitely capable of more than we give them credit for. Um, so if God speaks to you in a dream, Two things. One, uh, if it's from him, he wants you to know what it is and what it means. Um, you don't have to plead. You don't have to beg. Just ask for the interpretation of the dream. Um, consider it prayerfully uh, and then respond to it obediently. Um, the second thing about dreams that we have to understand is that God is painting pictures in dreams. And these aren't always things that we can we can sort of neatly tie together and say, oh, yeah, this was my dream, so this is what God wants to be. In the case of Paula, um, um, several of the dreams that she had that were so vivid, she'd get up and sort of draw uh, a, a, a crude picture of, of what the Lord was showing her. Um, but but we'd, we'd wait sometimes two to three or four years uh, before the meaning of that dream or the fulfillment of that dream came to pass. So I think dreams require us to be patient, um, obedient in the terms of, of seeking answers in the Word, um, 
but but not just that we 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 have to be uh, really really diligent in understanding that most dreams are just that and not get carried away so Kathy yes God does speak to us in dreams hope that helps Adam wants to know if Jesus is God why did he say the father is greater than he was well Adam the answer is not if Jesus is God we know he is God so we have to understand the role that Jesus took on in the incarnation. Now, this is something that we get asked about a lot on this program, questions about the Trinity. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. They share all of the same attributes. It's not like the Father is the, 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 the major partner and Jesus is the minority partner and the Holy Spirit is the errand boy. It's not that at all. They are all 100% God and they all have very different roles. So what Jesus was saying is that in the incarnation, he took on flesh, he humbled himself, Philippians chapter 2. It says it's an amazing word picture in the Greek. It says he considered equality with God not something to be grasped. What that means is he had it. Picture something so valuable in your hand that you say, I'll never ever get rid of it. And then he says, let go of it, the Father does. And Jesus lets it go. And the only way he could let the equality with God go in his incarnation is to care so deeply about the object of his mission. And of course, Adam, that's you and that's me. So the father wasn't greater in sense of his godness, but he was greater in sense of his authority. Jesus subjugated himself to the will of his father every single day. A couple amazing things about the relationship between father and son. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. So in other words, Jesus was a perfect representative of his father's heart. Now, the other thing that we have to consider about this is that Jesus, while he was here in the incarnation, the words always and only that I just communicated are important. It means Jesus never acted independently. Jesus never had a different thought. I mean, think about it. Jesus went out all night to pray to choose his disciples, those who would become apostles. And when the Father chose Judas and said, Jesus, you choose Judas, Jesus didn't say, I don't think so. You know, he's doomed. He's the son of perdition from the, the, before the foundations of the world. I don't think we should do that. Jesus dutifully did only what his Father said. Why? Because the Father had a plan. And Jesus was the execution of that plan on earth. In the same way, we can understand the role of the Holy Spirit because Jesus said when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he'll testify of me. So Jesus understood his role. The Father isn't greater. He's not more God. He's not more powerful. He doesn't have authority that exceeds the authority of Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Authority on heaven and on earth. And that authority was given by the Father. I always marvel at this, Adam, thinking about Jesus one moment. And we can only think of this in, in terms of our linear time and space dimensions. But one instant, Jesus was receiving the worship of angels in heaven. He was giving the stars their paths in the sky. He was telling the ocean, you can come this far and no further. I mean, he was holding all things together, according to the New Testament. And the next instant, he was traveling through the birth canal of a teenage girl being delivered into abject poverty. And all of this was the will of God. I can take it one step farther, Adam. Isaiah says it pleased God to crush Jesus. And Jesus had to be okay with that. Consider that for a moment. So was God greater only in terms of authority during Jesus' incarnation, that Jesus has now ascended to the right hand of God. We know that God the Father is a spirit. Jesus said that. So he doesn't have hands. He's not a physical sense like Jesus is, like you and I are, Adam. But the right hand, biblically, is the power hand, the execution hand of God. Well, that hand's name is Jesus Christ. 
So that's why he said the Father is greater than he. He was referring to his incarnation, his ministry on this earth for those 30-some-odd years that, that he was ministering on earth. Uh, one of the comment, Adam, and, and I, I'm only mentioning this, not because it adds any more clarification, but just because I love thinking about this. Jesus was just as in the dark as most of us are most of the time. We're just talking to Pastor Brandon about running for political office, and God said, do it. Now, i got to tell you, I, I really think I have a lot of faith. I mean, we, we've taken some steps of faith, and we continue to do it. We want to continue to be out there. But I honestly believe if I would have thought that was God telling me that, I would say, God, that's insane. Well, Jesus never did that. Remember at the wedding in Cana? His mother said, hey, we got a problem here. That They've run out of wine. We don't want to embarrass the banquet master. We don't want to embarrass the, the father of the, the bride and groom. So do something. And, and Jesus said, why do you trouble me, woman? My hour has not yet come. And it appears that at that moment, the Holy Spirit sort of interrupted and said, yes, it has. This is the moment and told him what to do. So every miracle Jesus did came from the throne of God. Every idea, every statement, read the Sermon on the Mount, that came from the heart of God. And then my final thought here, Adam, is read John chapter 17, where we are privileged to eavesdrop in on a prayer, a prayer that was a private conversation between Father and Son. Adam, thanks. I appreciate the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Jay wants to know, has God foreordained every event in our lives? Now, Jay, typically when I get this question or similar questions, uh, what you're asking is, does God cause every event that happens in our lives? And the answer to that question is no. Does God know about every event? that happens in your lives? The answer to that is obviously yes. Why? Because God lives outside of time and space. He knows the end from the beginning. But this whole line of thinking, you know, well, since God knows everything, we can't change anything. He knows what's going to happen. We have to remember that God's not causative in that action. So we have a hand in determining what God knows. I hope, Jay, that makes sense to you. We have a hand in determining what God knows. God knows what's going to happen to me tomorrow. God knows what direction he's going to give me. He knows if I'm going to be obedient or not. But you see, the neat thing about our relationship with Jesus is living, it's active, just like his word is living and active. And so let's just say tonight I have a dream. I got a question earlier about dreams. So let's just say tonight God gives me a dream and I get up in the morning and say, God, was that you? And he says, yes, that was me. This is what I want you to do. Well, God knows whether I'm going to say no or yes. If I say no, well, then I'm on my own. If I say yes, then, of course, I get the blessing of God as a result of, of, of being obedient. But God knows and his power, his sovereign power, is never demonstrated to a greater degree than using even the poor choices we make, using those forces in this world that stand in opposition to God. He uses it all to accomplish his will. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So yes, he knows everything. He doesn't cause everything. And he uses everything, good or bad, to accomplish his will. I think, Jay, our choice in this matter is whether or not God's going to use us or he's going to use somebody else. Again, Pastor Brandon uh, Hall was just here. And uh, think about it. He would have missed out on so much had he said no and waited for somebody else. Had he waited for somebody else to say yes, he would have been the one who got ripped off. We had Loopy on the line, and, and the call dropped off. Loopy, you're more than welcome to call back at 340-9585. Andrew says, uh, can you explain to me what Lordship Salvation is? Um, Andrew, Lordship Salvation was a, a phrase that was popularized, um, and I say that sort of with tongue-in-cheek, but it was popularized uh, by um, John MacArthur's book, uh, the Gospel According to Jesus. Uh, it was a book about lordship salvation. In essence, it boils down to if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. 
and that is uh, a, a reformed or Calvinistic view of our relationship with God. Um, MacArthur's view would be that every single event, including Adam's fall uh, in the garden and everything that's happened since, was not only ordained by God and willed by God, but was under the lordship of God. And so everything that happens, happens the way it's supposed to happen. And it leads to such a fatalistic view of life. It leads to a view, well, you know, again, if God wants me to do this, um, he'd make me do it kind of thing. Lordship salvation is simply saying, um, Jesus, your Lord. Uh, MacArthur's uh, book um, made a big deal out of uh, Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Uh, And we know that's true. But the idea that any of us can submit completely to God uh, is just hopes and dreams. I mean, I'd like to think that I could do that, but the truth is uh, I battle my flesh. We battle forces in this world, uh, both material and physical uh, in a spiritual realm as well. Uh, and, and there's times that we all say no to the Lord. Uh, what MacArthur's saying is that there's a whole bunch of people claiming to be Christians who aren't Christians. Now, as I get a lot of questions on this program about John MacArthur, he is a great servant of God. God has used him to do wonderful, wonderful things. Uh, he is a scholar. He's just wrong in the area of, of his Calvinism, his Reformed theology. It's just that simple. Nobody has it all right. MacArthur certainly doesn't. Um, we who are believers, we who get up in the morning and begin our prayers with Lord Jesus, we're obligated to do what he tells us to do. He doesn't ask us what our opinion is. He doesn't give us a plan B or a plan C. God has one perfect will for our lives. Ephesians 2.10 says that that will has been worked out before the foundations of the world. That, that will has been prepared for us all the while he's preparing us to walk in that will. And when we understand that, when we truly give God a chance to work his will in and through our lives, nobody wants to say no to Jesus. Nobody wants to say no to Jesus. We do it because we're sinners. We do it because we have flesh. So Lordship salvation is what all of us ought to aspire to. Jesus, you're in charge. You say, um, this, do this, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to be scared, and my faith is weak, but Lord, I'm going to ask you to increase my faith, but I'm going to do it. That's the way we ought to live our lives. So the, the silly thing, Andrew, is this shouldn't even be a question among Christians. Um, all you have to do is read the book of First Corinthians in particular and see the, the carnal Christians that Paul addresses as brothers and sisters. And basically he spends the entire book scolding them because everything in the church is out of control. Not some things, everything in the church in Corinth was out of control, yet he still calls them brothers. I tell people all the time that what we're going to do is we're going to find uh, a whole bunch of people in heaven once we get there that we are shocked that made it there. And then we're going to look at them and see the look on their faces because they're going to be equally shocked that we made it. Thank you, Andrew. appreciate the question. Now we've got a question from our email inbox. just came in from Drew. Pastor Ron, the Bible says that during the millennial kingdom there will be animal sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. This doesn't make sense. Why would more shedding of blood be necessary? Christ shed his blood on the cross to pay for his sins forever, the perfect unblemished Lamb of God. Unless I'm reading it incorrectly, more shed blood would seem to trample on what Christ did on Calvary's hill. Uh, Slitting the throats of cute lambs and other innocent animals seems barbaric and unnecessary. I understand that people born during that period will still need to come to faith in Christ, but it seems like there should be another way to evangelize them during the thousand years where Lord Jesus himself will be visible. Please explain. Drew, I'll explain, but before I I give the explanation of what I believe, and there's been argument over over the necessity and the reason, the purpose of animal sacrifices uh, at the temple in the millennial kingdom for generations. Before I do that, let me caution you caution you very carefully not to apply your logic. Jesus' ways are not your ways. His ways are higher than your ways. He's perfect. He's righteous. And it is sort of foolish, dangerous, spiritually speaking, to accuse Jesus 
The things that he's told us in the words of being barbaric or, or having no value. You know, when Jesus tells us to do something, when Pastor Brandon was here on the program the first half of the show, um, it would have been really easy for it would have been really easy for uh, Brandon to say, no, that doesn't make sense. That's a, that's a silly idea. I'm a pastor. But you see, we don't have that right. So we can understand that everything God does, everything God does is righteous and true and just and fair. If you understand that, then you can shed light on difficult passages like this. Uh, honestly, I don't know why there are going to be animal sacrifices. I only know that there will be. And here's what I think. I personally believe, and I hold this opinion very strongly, that these are going to be sacrifices that memorialize the work of Christ. Remember, from Jerusalem, and that's where the temple will be in the millennial kingdom, Jews will come from all over the world. The prophecies of, of Jews migrating to, to, to Jerusalem, the city of David, during the millennial kingdom are, are plentiful. And they're going to see the way a temple was supposed to be run. They're going to see what a house of prayer really is all about. There are not going to be any money changers tables. You know, the temples that so disappointed Jesus that twice in his earthly ministry he overturned the tables because he was angry, righteously angry. And he's going to see the Jews are going to be able to see exactly what the temple is supposed to be. Is it unfair? God created the animals. He created them for that purpose. So barbaric, no. Confusing to us, yes. But here's what we know for sure. It's going to happen. Hope that helps. Let's go to Pete calling on line one. Pete, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Pete, are you there? Pete, going once. Pete from San Antonio. Okay, Pete, if you're, I, I can hear the phone. So uh, if you're not listening, just expecting a break, uh, just kind of hang there. I'll be back in a moment. Uh, Dennis wants to know, what does it mean to be unequally yoked? Uh, Dennis, there's a lot of ways we can be unequally yoked. The primary reference, of course, is to husbands and wives. Um, God wants Christians to marry Christians. Um, he doesn't care what race the Christians are, where they come from. He just wants his people to marry his people. Why? Because we want godly offspring, because we want to be a light in a world filled with darkness. So usually this is a primary reference to uh, Christians dating unbelievers or, or marrying unbelievers. Uh, that's the primary application. There are others, though, business partnerships. Uh, old friends and old relationships. When we are men and women of the light, uh, John said that to be with Jesus, we must walk in the light because he is the light. That uh, means that's the people that we spend our time with. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't go to unbelievers. What it means is very simply, when we go to unbelievers, we go into the darkness to, to shed light. And we do that by rightly representing Jesus. We do it by standing firm for Jesus. And when we do that, then we're equally yoked. As a pastor, for 23 years now, the most pain that I have to deal with on a regular basis is people who married unbelievers. So that's what it means to be unequally yoked. Pete, are you there on line one? I am, sir. I am, sir. Hi, Pete. Thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir. Okay, so uh, I was having a conversation with some Jehovah's Witnesses, and uh, we kind of got on the subject of soul sleep, and I raised the uh, the question, uh, if the spirits in Hades were asleep, I mean, who was Jesus preaching to, and how did he, how did they hear them? And, of course, we, uh, how did they hear him? And, of course, we got kind of hung up on the scripture and on semantic, First uh, Peter 3, 18 and 19. And uh, I don't have it memorized, and I don't have it in front of me. But basically, we kind of got hung up on the idea uh, in 19 where it says after he was made alive, then he went to preach 
to the, the spirits in, in prison. I know we're running out of time, so I just want to ask you to comment on that. I don't know uh, okay. if you can touch on both. But basically the idea of, you know, he was put to death in the flesh, but raised in the spirit. And, of course, this Jehovah's Witness is arguing that Jesus, is, Jesus was dead, his soul was dead. And, of course, you know, their understanding of the soul and the body and all that kind of gets kind of yeah. confused. Yeah, so if you can I, I can do that. I can do that, Pete. Thank you for calling and thank you for coming back on the line. A couple of things. Absolutely. One, it's 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 very unfruitful um, to talk to a Jehovah's Witness um, about anything other than the person of Jesus Christ. They're going to hold on to what the Watchtower says, the Watchtower position. Um, those are the 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 arguments that that, that bear no fruit. Um, their idea of soul sleep, of course, comes from um, the, the, the euphemism that's used throughout the New Testament of, of um, somebody being asleep. We remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead, um, Jesus said, Lazarus is dead to his disciples after he'd been there four days. They, they made the trip uh, back to Bethany. Um, and, and he said, Lazarus is asleep and using that contemporary euphemism of his day. And his disciples said, well, Lord, if he sleeps, then he's going to get better. And, and Jesus, knowing that they misunderstood, said plainly, Lazarus is dead. So that's just sort of a dishonest misunderstanding of what soul sleep is. When Peter writes about Jesus, who was made alive, that's simply a, a reference to his humanity was destroyed on the cross. He died in his flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That's a reference only to his resurrection. And when Jesus went down and preached a message, it was a message of victory. It was a victory proclamation. It wasn't a second chance for those souls who were in uh, the Luke chapter 16 place of torment in, in, in the abyss. Uh, it was nothing more than um, uh, Jesus preaching a victory declaration. We know from Ephesians that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. And, and I always like to imagine, Pete, and you can, I hope, encourage a Jehovah's Witnesses, say, imagine what it was like when those who were held in the, the Abraham's bosom or the paradise compartment of that place called the abyss, imagine what it was going to be like when they heard the approach of Jesus declaring victory. Hey, thanks for your calls. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, don't forget, tonight, Pastor Rich is going to be teaching at 7 o'clock at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. And then I have the privilege of doing our final study in the Book of Romans on Sunday. We'll be back on the air, Lord willing, at KSLR AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.